Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah, bless the name of Yahuwah. Let's turn to Romans chapter 11. We are in part two this week. We took a break for Shavuot. But if you remember how we started out chapter 11 a few weeks ago, we were talking about the one new man or the perfect tapestry. That there isn't an Old Testament and a New Testament. That's just a page written somewhere in the midst of your Bible. That there is always one people, one assembly, the Israel of Elohim, Galatians 6, 16, Ephesians 2, 12. The one new man. But what's happened is this tapestry got torn. It got shredded. Remember the garment of Jeroboam got stuck torn and shredded. And now what we have today in the 21st century is all these denominations, Jews, Gentiles, the church, spiritual Israel, the state of Israel, the geographic landmass, and everybody is confused. Who's Israel and who are God's people? There's imposters abounding. Imposters abounding. So there's nothing more important than understanding your identity. So when we look and we hear what Yahushua is saying in the 15th chapter of the book of Matthew, I have not come. But for the lost sheep of the house of Israel, we know that he was on a restoration mission. He was on a restoration mission to a people, to a house, and it's called the whole house of Israel. Regathered, reunited, coming together, all under the one seamless high priestly garment of Yahushua. It's not torn, it's not shredded, it's restored, it's kingly, it's priestly, it cannot be torn because otherwise you disannul the priesthood and we know that's just not so. So as we go in now, let's remember the context of what we're talking about. This, of course, happened thousands of years ago. Remember the context of Rome. There was the edict, I've said it many times, the edict of Claudius, where the Jews were expelled from Rome for close to a decade. These were Jews that didn't believe in Yahushua, expelled from Rome. Then what happens, the synagogues become vacant, and all of a sudden you get many of these Israelites that were scattered, the ten northern tribes that are scattered into the nations in the Roman provinces, coming to faith in Yahushua. And they start to fill these vacant synagogues, and it is now Gentile, say ten Israel-centric. It's the garment of Jeroboam that's now being sewn and stitched back together by the blood of Messiah. These synagogues now get filled up with those returning from the nations, claiming Yahushua as Messiah and understanding that he has brought them into the new covenant. Yet, they have now fallen victim to thinking that possibly, possibly now that they have some kind of supremacy over, now the the edict of Claudius has been lifted after a decade, you've got Jerusalem's now, um, Jews that are now coming down from Jerusalem, returning to Rome, and they don't believe Yahushua is the Messiah, the majority of them, because they've been influenced by the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and now you've got some angst because their synagogues have been taken over 
by the Nazarenes, by the believers in Yahusha that are doing the Torah, doing the feasts, doing the Sabbaths. And the Jews that are now returning after the edict of Claudius has been lifted, there is some angst, there is some tension. And now Paul is correcting some of their theology. Because what is the tendency? Well, they're cut off. They're broken. The Father's done with them. He started with us. And so now he's correcting, correcting, excuse me, this misplaced understanding of Israel. And we are no different today. How many times in the Christian church do you hear about, we are spiritual Israel? Show me the chapter and verse. Because there's only ever been one Israel. Only ever will be one Israel. So this idea of a spiritual Israel, or if you're into politics today, the state of Israel, or if you're talking about a geographic landmass, these are all worldly, carnal, fleshly views. Even spiritual Israel is for the carnal Christian. It's not for the disciple of Scripture, because a disciple of Scripture will see that there isn't this spiritual hoobity-doobity Israel, that it is very, very tangible, concrete, attached to Hebrew words, and always will take you back to covenant. And that's what Paul's trying to do now with the trouble, the angst that's happening within the Roman synagogues, because these Ephraimites are tempted to believe that because most of the Jews had rejected the gospel, that Yahuwah had rejected them. And Paul's correcting this theology. He's saying, no, Yahuwah hasn't replaced them with some new people. He hasn't replaced them with a new entity because the faith that is now delivered to the saints, it's the same faith and it's still going to be patterned on the Torah. It's going to be a new covenant, but it's not going to be some Gentile, Roman, synchristic, pagan thing. But it is going to still be the pattern that was delivered to Moses at the mountain. So we're going to start now in the 17th verse of Romans chapter 11, where we left off a few weeks ago. And if some of the branches were broken off, you, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them. And with them you partake of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. So now we're going to get into horticulture. We're going to talk about grafting. And this is one of the most exciting things in the Scriptures. Do you think Paul pulled this out of a hat? Out of thin air. Where does grafting, listen, where does grafting originate from in the Scriptures? John? Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. That's the biblical origin of grafting. Let me show you. Where? And in you shall be the families of the earth, be blessed, be mingled, depending on your translation. And in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed and be mingled. Now, I want to give you the commentary from Rabbi Eliezer. Rabbi Eliezer 
doesn't believe that Yahushua is the Messiah. And this is what Rabbi Eliezer says about Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. Quote, What is the meaning of this verse in Scripture? I have two good shoots to graft into you, Ruth of Moab and Nama of Ammon. So Rabbi Eliezer understands the origin of grafting in the Bible is Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. That that promise made to Abraham is all about grafting. This is a rabbi that does not believe that Yahushua is the Messiah. And it gets better than this. Because the horticulture example for us is all about Yahushua. It's all about returning back to Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, the Malkitzedic covenants of promise. And that can only happen by grafting. Now, Jacob isn't with us today. And we lift him and his family up in prayer. But Jacob is an arborist. And he can testify and tell you whether what I'm saying is true or not because he knows all about trees. There's no more fun person to be around in the bush than this guy. And if you get hungry, I mean, he, he can point you in the right direction and you won't get ill. But the horticultural example on grafting is amazing because what you do is you can cut a branch off of a tree and it can be grafted back into that tree even if it's discarded for many, many years. It can be laid aside for many years, and it can still then be grafted back in. That grafted in, or wild branch, will eventually produce the same fruit as the rest of the tree. That's the point. We are supposed to produce the same fruit as Israel. Because we're grafting into the tree of Israel. We're not to be producing a Roman fruit, a Western fruit, a Catholic fruit. We're not supposed to be producing any other fruit than the fruit that comes from the olive tree. And we're going to find out that that olive tree is Israel. The Greek word for grafting is etkentrizo. And it means to cause a shoot or bud. Now, the word for bud, it's scion. Scion, like Zion. To cause a shoot or bud, scion, to unite with the stock of a growing plant. Think about this. The stock, the stem, and the scion are joined together And the grafting joins them together and brings about Zion. The stock and the broken off piece joined together brings about Zion. It's right there in the language. But the grafting procedure is even more insane. Now this is from Rabbi Judah. Now Rabbi Judah doesn't believe 
that Yahushua is the Messiah. These are Talmudic rabbis. This is from the Talmud. They do not believe that Yahushua is the Messiah. And he comments on Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. And this is what he says, quote, All grafting that does not take root within three days will not take root. How do you graft? You have the stock and you break off the scion. Or you go and get the scion and you pierce the stock in the side. Then you take the scion and you stick it in the pierced side. And you wrap it in a linen cloth and you put it away in a cool, dark place. For how many days? For three days. And if within three days, according to the Jewish rabbi that doesn't believe Yahushua is the Messiah, if it doesn't take place in three days, it ain't going to happen. And did Israel get restored within three days because he was pierced in the side and he brought about the fulfillment of Zion because he was wrapped in a linen cloth. This is a horticultural example. And these are apostate rabbis. So I'll only go in the Talmud when it actually behooves me. This is amazing stuff. Verse 18. Boast not against the cultivated branches. But if you boast you better remember that you do not bear the root, but the root bears you. You will say then, the cultivated branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. We have to be very sober and contrite in this walk, don't we? Don't we? You see, Western Christianity has for the most part laid the axe to their own root. They've actually sawn off the branch that they were sitting upon, not realizing that they've actually fallen to the floor and been trampled by the Gentile nations. That's the insanity of it all. You just sawed off the branch from which you were sitting upon, and now you've been trampled underfoot by the Gentile nations. The church triumphant, and this is so sad to say, but the church triumphant has become indistinguishable from the nations because it has been trodden and soiled within the culture where it lays as a bare branch and all the fruit has been plucked off and eaten by the birds of the air. Welcome to the 21st century religion that is served up to you every Sunday morning. It is a dry branch that's fruit has been picked off by the birds of the air. And it is indistinguishable from the world because they were sitting on a branch and they sawed it off of the very tree that supports them. And this is where you and I have to pick ourselves up off of the ground and go and say, we are the Zion. 
that needs to be partaker of the tree and the fatness thereof. And the only way we will ever do that is by recognizing who the root is. Who is the root? None other than the master arborist himself. Verse 20. True. Because of unbelief they were broken off, and you stand by faith. Be not arrogant, but fear. For if Yahweh spared not the cultivated branches, God, he may not spare you either. So therefore, the kindness and severity of Yahweh on those who fell severity, but towards you, kindness. If you continue, if you continue in his kindness, otherwise you too, you'll be cut off as well. You see, within the olive tree analogy, the question always arises, who are God's people? You've got this group over here saying they're the chosen people. You've got this people. Who are God's people? Number one, the Jews... No. Number two, the church? No. Number three, the state of Israel? No. You've just messed up my religion and my politics in three words. Right? And now you're a racist or something. I mean, they've got to label you, right? To shut you up. Got to stick a label on you. Hope that you're back down. Because that's what we do today in the 21st century. If you say something that I don't like, I'm going to come up with a name and call it to you to try and get you to back down. You're a Nazi. You're a racist. You're a fascist. And you... Oh, you're an anti-Semite. Anything to get you to back down. Because that is what the school system does. Intimidation, fear to spineless cowards that will be outside of the gates. But you shall not fear man, saith Yahuwah, but you shall stand and walk to Zion through the strength and anointing of my son. That you shall not fear when you look to the left, you look to the right. But you shall look straight and follow and walk in the ways of the son. And you have nothing to fear. But that is all that they know to do because they are terrified of man. But we are a different people. So when you get labeled, Mabel, know that you're doing the right thing. But saying that, there are in fact three distinct subgroups at present that are included amongst Yahweh's one people Israel. There is one people Israel, but there are in fact three distinct subgroups within the one people Israel today. Number one, enlightened, regenerated Jews. 
But I can't stop there because you're all going to start thinking about something that's not true. So the first subgroup within Israel is enlightened, regenerated Jews. But this is a transracial grouping of both regal Negroes and Fehalim farmers, which are both the original inhabitants of the land. In modern times, they're misidentified as Palestinians, many of them Christians, and some not, and African Negroes. Both are the legitimate house of Judah, the natural branches that are part of the cultivated tree. Number two, there's dispersed Ephraim Israel often found mixed within the Anglo-Saxon nations. Anglo-Saxon sons of Isaac within the Anglo-Saxon nations. They're awakened, they've woken up to their identity, but they are the wild olive branches which have been grafted in to the cultivated olive tree. That's you, maybe. It's certainly me. And then there is number three, the unregenerate Jews. The unregenerate Jews, both the Negro and the Palestinian Fehalim, the natural branches which have been broken off the cultivated olive tree, and they have been trampled by Muhammad in Gaza, trampled by Muhammad in Jordan, Syria and the nations, they've been laid waste by Islam, which is, of course, a bare tree, unable to bear fruit. This is more than you see today. More and more, Negroes and Palestinians have been shackled and enslaved by the Mohammedans than any other people group on the face of the planet. And who invented infernal slavery? None other than Islam. So it's so sad when you see the Negro that is enslaved by the Mohammedans because they invented infernal slavery. And we've already spoken about this in depth in the migration of Judah teaching. But I want to continue, if you're paying attention with our horticultural analogy. Because the Ashkenazi, the Ashkenazi are not, listen, they, this is going to offend some people, they are not natural branches of the olive tree as commonly taught. They are in fact none other than an invasive species of the Caucasian order. Now, the Caucasian order, is its actual name is the Alnus subcordata, and it is a tree that is grown in the Turkic Caspian region. So this is where we find now in our horticultural analogy, the Ashkenazi are in fact none other than the Caucasian order, Alnus subcordata, which is a broken Turkic branch. A broken Turkic branch. And the Negro Mohammedans 
are but another invasive species, fallen branches from the black order, of course, the ulnus glutinosa, and these all originate in the Caspian Hyrenikian forest. This is the origin of it. And we're talking about what? Horticulture, using these analogies, and we can see now that there is a huge deception that people are buying into because they're not understanding why Paul is using this analogy to explain the ethnic, racial, and what? Healing unity of Israel. Now, of course, I have to make note because people are, you know, you're going to get all those leftists that are going to call you a name. <gasps> you could throw quite a few at me right now. But this is an exercise in horticultural analogy, just like what Paul is using. We're talking about anthropology here, people. Don't let the low-minded cause, turn this into some kind of zio-socialist cause celeb, because you know that's what they're going to do. This is none other than just like Paul using a horticultural analogy to try and explain anthropology in light of Israel. Okay? We're not babies in, in high school here where we're going to go, oh, that offends me. Well, then you're going to be stuck at that level of learning. And that's what people will do. They want to keep you stuck. But we're all adults, right? So let's continue on. Verse 23. But you need to look up where the Caucasian order and the black order come from, and you'll notice that it is from the Caspian Forest, Turkic Ashkenaz origin. It is an invasive species. The black order being hijacked by Muhammad, that is the Negroes, and of course the Caucasian order, sons of Esau, the Ashkenazi. These are nothing to do with the tree of Israel. What we're looking at is what? Invasive species now. And that's what you have. You've got the invasive species of Zionism, and you have the invasive species of Mohammedanism today, and that is what you hear on the news, and it is everywhere. But the reality is, you had the house of Judah in the land of Israel, And the poor that could not afford to leave after Titus came in, why couldn't they afford to leave? Because they were farmers. They stayed into the land. They were attached to the land. They were called Fehalim. Fehalim, the founders of Zionists, the first prime minister and president of the state of Israel, were historians, and they testify to this in their writings, that the Fehalim, the natural farmers, the inhabitants of the land, are what today, politically, we called Palestinians. Now, they couldn't leave the land because they were poor. So when Islam came in in the 7th and 8th centuries... They got heavily taxed. It's called the Jizya tax. They couldn't afford to pay the tax, so they're going to lose their vineyards. They're going to lose their olive groves. So what do they do? They convert to Islam. And they still can maintain themselves in the land. They are the natural inhabitants of the land. But what about the rich regal class? 
Well, they can afford, these are the merchant class of the house of Judah, they can afford to get out of Dodge, can't they? Because they are the wealthy regal class. They go down into Western Africa and they establish the kingdom of Judah. These is the regal Negroes. They go down into Africa and establish the kingdom of Judah in Western Africa. The other native Negro African tribes become very hostile towards them because they are a rich Negro regal class of the house of Judah. They have their own culture. They have their own language. They have writing, calligraphy. They are a very educated people. And the African tribes are very resentful and hostile towards them. Islam comes down in the 15th and 16th of century, the inventors of infernal slavery. The Ashkenazi that own the ships out of Great Britain and Portugal are there. And Islam now unites with the rest of the African Negro tribes, pays the African Negroes to round up the royal house of Judah and what? Transport them on Ashkenazi slave ships over to America. Because the Negroes of Africa, they didn't want the royal house of Judah there with their own culture, their own language, their own currency. So this is what happens in the 15th, 16th, and 17th century. And by the time it gets to your high school books, history books here, we're going to cut out everything from, the seventh, from before the 17th century, and all you get is slave ships coming to America. But they don't tell you what was going on in Africa for the three or 400 years before that, and they don't tell you about the migration of the regal class of Judah after the destruction of the temple in 70 of the Common Era. You had a total split within the house of Judah. The poor stay and farm the land. The rich merchants, they go down and establish the kingdom of Judah in Western Africa. And I'm not teaching something new. This has been well known for hundreds of years. Hundreds of years. It's amazing to me that people don't question and go further back down history because then we are, what, going to make the same mistakes, the same mistakes. And they're at the end of the day, what you have to understand is it is the invasive species that ferment and have brought us to this political, religious stalemate of where we're at in the 21st century. You need to question the Mohammedans and you need to question the Ashkenazi because they're the ones that put the regal house of Judah on slave ships. They're the ones that are now fermenting all the trouble in the state of Israel. They're the ones that are funding not only our politicians, but our music industry, our movie industry, and our press. Why do you think right now that you are seeing this fermentation? Because the Ashkenazi are the ones with the money that use the Mohammedans to cause chaos so that they can bring about order. And that's nothing different than what happened in Africa in the 14th, 15th, 16th centuries that culminated with the house of Israel, particularly the tribe of Judah, 
going from West Africa in slave ships over here. This is some crazy stuff. But this we have spoken about in the migration of Judah, but it does pertain to a horticultural example here because Yahweh is in the business of restoring the whole coat of Joseph, which is a what? A multicolored transracial group of people that come together. But you've got to identify the Mohammedans as an invasive species. And you've got to identify the sons of Esau, the Ashkenazi, as an invasive species because this is the horticultural analogy we're using and it goes back to the Caucasian order and the black order in the Turkic basin of the Caucasian forest in the Caucasus. This is some crazy stuff. But this is what happens when you start going into what? Horticultural analogy. Because then you can actually look at these species of where they come from and you go, Paul was very, very, very clear and clever because this example now can go 2,000 years into the future and it can speak to us politically, religiously, and in the migration that we're seeing of the nations today. It's huge. So check that out, and let's go on further now in the 23rd verse. And they also, if they abide not still in their unbelief, shall be grafted in. For Yahweh is able to graft them in again. For if, if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is uncultivated, and were grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these, who are the cultivated branches, be grafted into their own olive tree as well. Verse 25. For I would not, Israelite brothers, that you should be ignorant of this mysterious secret, lest you should be wise in your own opinion and full of pride and conceit, that partial blindness or hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the nations, the mellow Hagoim, comes in. Now, you've got to be careful of translators' value judgments on verse 25. Is it A or B? A, a partial hardening has happened to Israel. Or is it B, hardening has come on only part of Israel? Because what you're going to get is the translators trying to skew you one way or the other. So what's the truth? Meros, in the Greek, part or partial, should it be approached, this is the question, should it be approached as A, an adverb, it's describing blindness, or should it be approached as B, a noun, talking about Israel? That's the question you have to answer. I believe it's A, an adverbial approach is correct because it's what Paul is trying to get his point across that he's concerned about the whole lump, is he not? He's concerned about the whole lump. He's not just concerned about a few individuals. Paul is concerned adverbially about the whole lump. He's not concerned with just a part of the lump is blind. It's that the whole lump is 
partially blind. So we go with the adverbial approach rather than the noun approach. Does that make sense? Because you've got to be aware of, at least be aware of the translator's bias, because otherwise you'll read it and they'll catch you off guard. So I like to make that clear, because we are a unified whole. It's the unified lump, unified by Yahusha, that is partially blind, right? The whole lump is partially blind, not the only part of the lump is blind. And that the other part of the lump, oh, they can just see everything bright and clear. No, that's not true. Okay, we can move on. I got my point across. The second part of that verse is, until the fullness of the Gentiles or the nations, the melo hagoyim, very particular key Hebrew word there, has come in. Meaning, the full number of elect priests from amongst the nations has come in. When that full number of elect priests from amongst the nations has come in, Revelation 7, 9 and Luke 21, verse 24, it's that which is brought into fullness or completion. That's what the Father's doing right now. That's what he's doing right now. This is talking about none other than the spiritually mature Malkitzedic priesthood who are supposed to be, you and I, ambassadors of Yahweh's covenants of promise and the reunification of all Israel back into covenant Torah through the Messiah in these end times. You and I, we're ambassadors. We're ambassadors to the olive tree of the one unified Israel. This is not talking about some Jewish Zio love fest. Okay? Where we all dress up like Jews and do some Davidic, shall we say, gypsy dancing and sing Kumbaya to the state of Israel. That is not what this is talking about. We're not supposed to be singing camp songs to the Khazars, the sons of Esau. Wake up. And of course, they're going to label you when you say something like that. The language is of a covenantal renewal. Remember what the apostate rabbi said? And I'll use them as my, to my advantage right now. Genesis 12.3 is the origin of grafting. The calling back of Israel has to be to their triumphant glory. And where was Israel's triumphant glory? As a kingdom of priests and a holy nation receiving the book of the covenant Torah commands, Exodus 19.4 to 24.11. Romans 11 is not replacement theology. It is expansionist theology. Isn't that the Father's heart? Doesn't he want to expand? Doesn't he want to expand? Doesn't he want to go out under every hedgerow? Doesn't he want to go out to those under the hedgerows and bring them in? Doesn't he want to expand David's kingdom? Doesn't he want to expand the landmass? Doesn't he want to expand it to the succeeding generations? Yahweh and me and you, we're into expansionism. Expansionist theology. Not replacement theology, but expansionist theology. Look at verse 26 i got to settle down. I get worked up, don't I? It's the word. It just ignites me like fuel. 
And so call Israel, all Israel shall be saved, as it is written. There shall come out of Zion, there's that Zion, that grafted in Zion, the deliverer, and shall turn away wickedness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them, when I shall take away their sins. Praise Yah. The tree budded, the tree budded, it blossomed, and it grew into Israel. Yes, but it was planted in Genesis 12, verse 3. That's where most people miss. Yes, it budded, it blossomed, it bore fruit into Israel, but it was planted in Genesis 12, 3. So if you're going to get back to your roots, that's where you've got to get back to, right? The tree is the covenant made with Abraham, and it belongs to his descendants. In chapter 9, verse 4 of Romans, Paul said that the covenants belong to Israel. This is a Malchizedek tree of shade, brethren. It's a Malchizedek tree of shade in a time when the war of the kings and the nations is raging. And you haven't seen anything yet. We are about to see the nations rage, the war of the kings, Genesis 14. And we are going to be under a Malchizedek tree of shade as the kings of the earth make war with one another. That's the season that Yahweh has chosen for you to be living, for you to be living and me living. That's just the way it is. He didn't want you around in the Reformation. You would have been tied to a pole with kindling all around your feet. And that still may happen. But he didn't want that for you in the Reformation. He wanted you to be underneath the Malchizedek tree of shade as you see the kings of the earth waging war against one another. Genesis 14. Look at verse 28. You see, we have to remember... This tree, it's very natural to Paul, isn't it? it? This isn't some foreign tree to Paul. Was Paul cut off? Was he a branch cut off from this tree? You bet. He was cut off from this tree in the beginning chapters of Acts, wasn't he? As he stood there and took the talits, the coats of those that stood and stoned Zephania, the first martyr, Stephen. Oh, yes, that branch was hacked off. And he was cast aside and blinded, was he not? Right? Didn't he just say that? He was partially blinded until his restored eyesight. And then that Zion was grafted into the tree. And that's why he is using this horticultural analogy. Because he was that branch that was laid bare. And now he has been by the blood and the tapestry garment of Yahusha put back into the stalk. So yeah, he knows what he's talking about. This is a very natural tree to pull because it's his covenant. Now, on the other hand, when a sojourner would be grafted into the tree, it was a tree that was contrary to his very sinful situation and station in life, right? Some pagan, it was very contrary to his natural grafting. When he got grafted in, it was foreign to him. But after time, he started to produce the same 
fruit as the tree. And that's what it's like. If you're a sojourner cast off in the nations and you want to join Israel, first of all, you're going to go, these are all weird and strange people. Right? But eventually, you'll start to produce the same fruit. But you are a strange people, a peculiar people. But once we all start to produce the same fruit, we have the common echad union. Yeah, it's a little weird at first. You guys are a little weird, you know, and you're thinking, well, you're really weird. But I think we've all had those thoughts, right? This is a bit strange, isn't it? What's all this? Why is everyone doing that? It's not as strange as it used to be when you all dressed up like Jews. Right? That was when it was really weird, 10 years ago. My goodness. But, you know, Yahweh was patient. Verse 28. Verse 28. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. But as far as being the chosen people, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and calling of Yahweh are without repentance. For as you in times past have not believed Yahuwah, yet now have obtained mercy through their unbelief, even so have these also now not believed that through your mercy they also may reobtain mercy. Verse 32. For Yahuwah has put all Israel in various forms of unbelief, that he might have mercy upon all Israel, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of wisdom and knowledge of Yahuwah. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Verse 34. For who has really known the mind of the master Yahuwah? Or who has been his advisor? Or who has first given anything to him in order to receive something back from him? For from him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, the error in the thinking today is that an olive tree with natural branches of the Jewish people or a Jewish olive tree. This is erroneous thinking. Get rid of that thinking. It's not true. It's not biblical. There isn't some Jewish olive tree. Never has been. Okay? That is Judeo-Christianity, which is an oxymoron. You can't have Judeo-Christianity. It's like a kosher pig. (laughs) Right? One believes that Yahushua is the Messiah... One says he's boiling in excrement. So Judeo-Christianity is insanity, Hagee. Insanity. And it's infiltrated the mainstream. And that's where all of this apostate doctrine comes from. That's where the Zio love fest comes from. And it's all part of your political, religious landscape. And it is silliness. If you just... Think about it. Judaism and Christianity, you can't blend the two. Don't work. 
you're both going to go headlong more into destruction. You've got to come out of her, my people, and graft into the olive tree of Israel, which is a return to the priesthood. Because that was established in Exodus chapter 19, when you got called out of Egypt, the world, and leave the pagan gods behind. You see, so this whole idea of the natural branches being the Jewish people or a Jewish olive tree, to teach that the olive tree of Romans chapter 11 is Jewish and that the branches are grafted in Gentiles is childish to anybody who actually reads this book. Now, if you just use this for thematic sermons then maybe you might get misguided. But if this is your daily nourishment and you understand it from beginning to end and you have a working understanding, there's no way you're going to fall for that. But if you just teach the Bible thematically, then you can pretty much make up anything you want. Okay? Read it daily. Eat it daily. First thing you do when you get up, is this. Second thing you do is pray. Third thing you do is make yourself some really good English tea with a little bit of half and half. Now, sometimes I may slip in the English tea like in between the two. But you got to do this daily. You just got to read and read and read. And I study and study and study, but you have to just read. Because if I just study, that's not good enough. I just got to read pages at a time. That's separate from my study. So I have to get up very early. Because if I just study, then what am I doing? Then I'm falling into a thematic trap too. Okay? So you have got to just have a daily diet of reading. Reading, reading. Preferably in the beginning and kind of towards the end. You know, don't any of you start in the book of John, all right? We've already done that. (laughs) Let's go to Zechariah chapter 4, because I really got to put the nail in the coffin of this Jewish olive tree with Gentiles being grafted back in. Sorry. I mean, come on, I got to have a bit of fun once in a while, right? Let's go to Zechariah. Let's see what the scriptures actually say. The two olive trees of Zechariah. And now, now Zechariah didn't even know what was going on. The two olive trees of Zechariah chapter 4. Because this is the unsolved mystery contained in chapter 4 that we are now going to see that Paul is talking about. Chapter 4, Zechariah, or Zechariah chapter 4 verse 3. Two olive trees are by it. One on the right of the bowl and the other on the left. And then he says, what are these? What are these? Look at verse 11. And I answer and say unto him, what are these two olive trees on the right of the menorah and on its left? And I answer a second time and say unto him, What are the two branches of the olive trees 
that by means of the two golden pipes are emptying out of themselves of the oil. What is this? Even he doesn't know. The prophet doesn't even know. And he speaketh unto me, saying, Zechariah, don't you even know what these are? And I say, uh, no, no, my master, I don't know, I haven't a clue what you're talking about. Well, what's going on here? This is the prophet Zechariah. So we've got to, you know, give some people, cut some people some slack here on this Jewish olive tree with Gentiles being grafted in, because Zechariah didn't even know what was going on. So, you know, I, I admit that. Do you know, not know what these are? And I say, no, my master. And he saith, these are my, listen, these are my two anointed ones who are standing by the master of the whole earth. Now, of course, we'd have to go back to Leviticus chapter 7, verse 36, and we find that there is none other than the children of Israel are the anointed ones. Who's Yahweh's anointed ones? The children of Israel. And they what? The children of Israel, though. What happened to the children of Israel? They turned into two, didn't they? They got severed into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. So the tree's origin, it's one tree, but now we are finding a split in the kingdom. Context, and the time of Zechariah, was the kingdom united or was it split? It was split. That's why he's getting the vision. Okay, so these are the two houses, the two houses of Israel, because they were united as the children of Israel, Leviticus 7 verse 36, which Yahuwah commanded to be given them of the children of Israel in the day that he anointed them, by statute forever throughout their generations. The anointing is always over Israel. Leviticus 7 verse 36. Now this is the blind leading the blind. That's what we've got today. And he's asked, Zacharias asked, what are these in regard to the two houses of Israel? And just like today, most people answer, I don't know, I've never heard about that. What's the two houses of Israel? Right? Most people today don't know what you're talking about when you talk about the two houses of Israel. But this is, the two olive trees are none other than the two houses of Israel. They're two nations. They're two chosen families. They're two backslidden sisters, are they not? They're two olive branches. They're even two lampstands in Revelation. They're the two spies, Ephraim and Judah, two gone congregations. You see this throughout Scripture again and again and again and again. Now, Jeremiah, though, in the 11th chapter, turn there, Jeremiah 11, verse 16, because he's going to tell us about this olive tree. Jeremiah chapter 11, verse 16. An olive, green fair of goodly fruit, hath Yahweh called thy by name. At the noise of a great tumult, he hath kindled fire against this olive tree. So listen, here's the judgment. And broken have, it, have its thin branches been. 
You see where Paul's getting this from? And Yahweh of hosts, who is planting thee, hath spoken evil concerning thee. For the evil of the house of Israel, in the context of the olive tree, and of the house of Judah. There's your two trees, do you see? They have done it to themselves to provoke me to anger, to make perfume to the Lord, Baal. So in Jeremiah chapter 11, verse 16, Yahweh names the olive tree of his planting, doesn't he? Right there. We don't have to guess. We don't have to listen to churchmen, and we don't have to listen to fake theology because we can go to the Bible and we can see the origin of the olive tree. The olive tree consists of all Israel, both Ephraim and Judah. The non-Israelites are strangers dwelling in Israel through the redemptive work of Messiah. They've received a reprieve. Yeah, they have. And they've now got a new life only by grafting into the olive tree. That's the one new man of Ephesians 2 verse 15. You see, Yahweh created the olive tree to be a one singular unified voice, didn't he? That unified voice from the mountain. But due to rebellion, the tree got split into two trees. And an arborist will tell you that a tree, if it's not growing right and its soil becomes corrupted, that one tree can actually split and turn into two trees. And then you've got a problem. Then you've got a problem. You then need some outside help to come and restore that tree back into one. And Yahusha was that man. Sent by the Father to do a horticultural work on the tree. And restore it back into one. And that can only happen by a master, master arborist. So, Yahweh created the one unified single tree of Israel. The two olive trees evolved from the one only because of rebellion, growing under Yahuwah's permissive will, but it was never his perfect will, was it? Never his perfect will. His perfect will would have been to have one tree. The single olive tree of Israel was supposed to produce the fruits of righteousness the fruits of holiness. Instead, it split into two, and it actually came, became two corrupted trees bearing mixed fruit, doesn't it? Judah, mixed fruit. Ephraim, mixed fruit. Branches then from both houses were cut off to make room for the strangers to graft in. Yahuwah discovered evil in both houses and decided to cut off branches from both houses with great tumult and fire, according to Jeremiah. After the division of the two houses, Yahuwah would then further discipline by cutting off all the branches of both trees and burning them with fire. Both, both trees, all branches, 
totally cut off. Yahuwah planted one Israel that became two nations through division, and eventually both nations were laid bare before all nations as branches, both natural and unnatural, or cultivated and uncultivated, were hacked off, cut off, burnt with fire. Because since 921, before the common Israel, we have seen a divided house, a split tree, two trees. Romans 11 is the key. The root of the olive tree, Revelation chapter 22, verse 16, is none other than Yahushua. He's the root of the tree, the offspring of David. The first fruits are redeemed Israelites. That's you and I. We're the first fruits of that tree. Grafted in. We are the Zion. Grafted into the stock. In verse 17 of chapter 11, Paul calls the non-Jewish believers at Rome wild olive branches. Now think about this. Notice that Gentiles or non-Israelites are not olive branches at all, are they? Are they? They're branches from a foreign tree, a totally different tree. The Caucasian order or the black order, invasive species. You don't want to get mixed up with that. They've infiltrated religion and politics because they're trying to choke out the tree. Trying to choke out the tree. The Mohammedans and the Ashkenazi are trying to choke out the true tree of Israel because they originate in a Turkic Caucasian region. Conspirators, infiltrators, an invasive species into the true tree. And that's what you're living with. And there are so many people that are so intimidated to open up their eyes and open up their ears and speak this out. And there are so many people that are scared to look in their Bibles and question the political religious narrative for fear of being called the things I'm called and the things that you're called. Terrified. Don't want to lose their friends. Don't want to lose their status in Bible study. Don't want to lose, you know. Well, lose it now or lose it later. You're going to lose it. You came into this place with nothing on, you're going out with nothing on. That's a scary thought, right? The believers at Rome were the regathered lost sheep of Israel, being grafted back into their own tree. And when those foreigners, those foreign branches from another tree saw that, they could join too. They're called sojourners. But they graft into the same tree and you produce the same fruit. Look at Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 18. Jeremiah 2, 18. I know you're being patient with me today. There's no way I could have got through this in one session. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 18. And now, why have you taken the road to Egypt? (laughs) Right. I asked myself that so many times. Why the hell? Oh, am I allowed to say that? Why? Yes, it's just like a burning garbage 
tip south of Jerusalem. Why, why, the, why the hell did I spend 24 years on that road? Well, he's going to tell us why. To drink the Ma'im, the water of Sichor. Or why did you take the road to Ashur? Why did you do that? To drink the water of the river. Your own wickedness shall correct you, and your backsliding shall reprove you. Know therefore and see that it is an evil, and it's a bitter thing, isn't it? I still taste it, do you? Mm, I taste it. It's usually late at night. It's usually when I'm trying to sleep. Man, I taste it still. It's poison unto me. It's a bitter thing. In that you have forsaken Yahweh your Elohim, and that my fear is not in you, says the master Yahweh Zevot. And a lot of people say, why are you so afraid of Yahweh? Because I am. But it's, an, it's a healthy fear. Yeah. It really is. And a lot of people say, oh, you know, I'm like, oh, no, you don't understand. I just spoke to Brother John yesterday in my office. I'm like, right now, this stage in my life, I got no wiggle room. Like the moment I step out of line, Yahweh is right there correcting me. Something very big is about to happen. Because, you know, his hand is on me so hard right now. Literally, I just, some little bit of pride, some little bit of confidence, and boom, I get slapped right back down. I've got to go tell people, embarrass myself, and confess to everybody. But that's good. Keeps you right where you're supposed to be. You want to be that way. You don't want him to give you plenty of rope because that means that you're not pressing in. You don't want to be able to get away with lots of things because I used to be able to do a lot of things when I was back in the church. But not nowadays. I used to go out for margaritas at the Mexican restaurant before Bible study when I was in the church. And, you know, nowadays, are you kidding me? I'm not doing, I'm not mixing any of that stuff. We've got to stay, you know, right online. Because we know the more we press into the Father, the more accountable that we are. But that's a good place to be. That's a good place to be. Let's continue on now down the narrative of Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 18. And now we continue on in verse 19. Your own wickedness shall correct you, and your backsliding shall reprove you. Know therefore and see that it is an evil and bitter thing, in that you have forsaken Yahuwah your Elohim, and that my fear is not in you, says Yahuwah, the master Sivot. For from old times I have broken your yoke and cut your cords. And you said, I will not transgress when upon every high hill and under every green tree you wandered off playing the whore. Yet I had planted you as a noble vine, a fully ripe seed. How then are you turned into a foreign plant of a strange vine before me? Isn't it amazing how much we can get out of this horticultural analogy today? Because Jeremiah here is teaching us that Ephraim traveled down the Assyrian road. Ephraim traveled down the Assyrian road and degenerated from being an olive tree into a, look at it, a degenerate vine. I'm going to use that on somebody this week. Somebody's going to to upset me and I'm going to go... You are a degenerate vine. <laughs> I get a lot of opportunity to, to, 
to use that kind of vernacular in my regular job. I like that. I'm going to use that one. You, you degenerate. Fine. I used a couple of good ones this week. I'll, I'll talk to you about that afterwards. But anyway. I have to have some entertainment during the day, otherwise my... But the Hebrew word for that degenerate vine, the Hebrew word there is nokri. Nokri, it means a foreign vine. You became a foreign vine. How about that? They became foreigners amongst other foreigners, didn't we? We became foreigners amongst other foreigners. They became the latter-day Gentiles. So mixed up, you look like a bunch of Gentiles. You act like a bunch of Gentiles until Yahweh called you back to your heritage and then you start to shed off those garments of syncretism and you put on the garments of Israel. You start producing the feasts, the Sabbaths, the holy days. You start to distinguish between what is Tomei unclean and what is clean. You start to change your diet. You start to change what you listen to, what you watch, who you associate with. You start to become a peculiar people. Right? You look at Hallmark holidays and you're like, oh my goodness. Right? And people become vexed with you when you don't send them cards on those days, when you don't start carving up the meat they're serving on their table, and they start to become vexed, and you start to have a whole bunch of trouble within your own household because you start to stand up and say, I no longer am a foreign vine. I am no longer hanging out with you degenerate vines. (laughs) See, I told you I knew how to use that. But in Hebrew, even today, modern Hebrew, nokri, it means Gentile. It means Gentile. The olive tree of Ephraim had become so degenerate that it literally took on the customs of the non-Israelite Gentile nations, even going so far, Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 3, as banging down a bloody tree and sticking it in your living room and hanging the testicles of Ra upon it and going underneath it and prostrating yourselves to get the prezies. It's called Christmas, right? That's some... You degenerate. I mean, really... People think we're crazy. I'm like, hey, hang on a minute. Hang on. So let me get this right. We're going outside. We're gonna we're gonna cut a, a very healthy tree down. We're gonna bring it inside our house, and then we're gonna make some ramshackle stand for it. We're gonna dry it out with our central heating. We're going to have needles all over the place for the rest of the time we're in this house. Then we're going to go into debt. We're going to spend money that we don't have to go and buy a bunch of trash that we don't need. And we're going to hoof it all the way back. And we're going to stick it under that tree. Then... We're going to fill our house up with people we don't even like, that we don't even want to see, and we're going to cook for them 
And we're going to send everyone under that tree and we're going to sit around and watch for hours while they tear open and wreck our house. And I'm insane because I don't want to do that anymore. (laughs) Praise Yah. It really is insanity, isn't it? But you start talking, I start talking to my mum and she'll get all offended about that. Actually, my mum's pretty good about it, really. She knew I was mad a long time ago. <laughs> Let's get back on topic. Sorry, I'm having so much fun with this. This is, you see, this is a horticultural example. Can I continue on or do I need to, like, wrap it up? Shall I stop or shall we finish? Am I okay? Chuck's like, wrap it up. No, we okay, all right. <laughs> He'd tell me the truth. But this is what it is. It's the restoration of Israel. We are returning to our own olive tree from which we have been pruned. Yes, we have been pruned, but we are returning to our own olive tree. Yes, we were wild. We're wild when we come in. But through this new engrafting, we're rejoining the commonwealth of Israel and we're sharing in the root, which is Yahusha, which is the fatness, the Torah, the prophets, the covenants of Israel. I'm excited. This is all I live for because it is life. So, you know, yes, I have a little fun with it. But, you know, a lot of the stuff I have to do isn't fun. But when I'm in the Word, when I'm around you all, this is the happiest times of my life. I love you guys. I love the saints. I love you guys watching because you support us, and you're most probably as mad as hatters too. You'd have to be. I love it, though. I love coming together for the feasts. I love coming together for Shabbat. I love hearing stories of how people were wild degenerates, and how Yahweh has taken those wild degenerates, and some are pretty mad, you know, like myself. And it's amazing to me. <sighs> Ephraim is returning into that one tree. All the while, Jewish Israel at the time of this letter was leaving that very same tree, weren't they? At the time of this writing, Jewish Israel was leaving the tree, and Ephraim Israel was rejoining the tree. And that's the vexing that Paul's dealing with. One's leaving and one's coming in natural Jewish Israel, they're departing. They don't believe in Yahushua. Yet, Ephraim Israel is coming back and returning back to the tree, broken off from unbelief, but they're coming back in. Yet, natural branches, they're being broken off. The poor farmers stayed in the land, converting to Islam in the 7th to 10th century. The wealthy merchant class migrated to West Africa, established the kingdom of Judah, the regal nomadic Negroes. Both shoots of the true Judah became subjects to Islam. The one who what? Invented infernal, infernal slavery. Talk about, wow. Look at Isaiah chapter 8, verse 14. And he shall be for a sanctuary, but for a stone of stumbling and for a rock of offense to both houses of Israel. So I'm not making this stuff up. All Israel would stumble over the one given to our people, Yahushua, the sanctuary. He is the sanctuary or the Mishkan, the Messiah of Yahuwah. John chapter 2, verse 19, Messiah Yahushua refers to himself as the sanctuary of Israel. 
In Genesis chapter 48, verse 19, the patriarch Israel, Jacob, laid his crossed hands over the heads of his grandsons, Ephraim and Manasseh, and he said, and his seed will become, to Ephraim, Melo Hagoyim, or the fullness of the Gentiles, that's used right here in Romans chapter 11. It's about Israel, Ephraim, grafting back into the tree from which he was laid bare. The Melo Hagoim, the seed of Ephraim Israel, will one day become a fullness of Gentiles or a multitude amongst the Gentiles. All of the physical descendants of Ephraim Israel, the latter-day Gentiles, get saved. Then all Israel becomes safe and sound once they come under the shade of the Malkitzedic tree of the unified tree of Israel. One new man. It's always been about one new man. A restored house of Israel. We'll finish up now with a few verses in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 19, verse 28. The Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory. Ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones... Judging the 12 tribes of Israel. There's your end game. There's your end game. Remember, there's 12 gates into the city, and there is no church gate. They're named after the 12 tribes of Israel. The only way you're getting in is by grafting in. You can't establish your own gate. You see, you even see it in the natural man. I won't go there, that's too much. So I was going to give you some more history. I've got to keep, rein it in, rein it in, sorry. I was going to go back now and talk to you about the Turkic War and First World War, but we won't go there. General Allenby and, anyway, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> and the Kaiser, I mean, that's my mind, you know, and the Kaiser blow. <sighs> Focus. Luke chapter 2, verse 25. Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. This is the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Simeon, he waited for the consolation of Israel. That's the full tree. Luke chapter 24, verse 21. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. The context of the New Testament and the culmination of Yahushua's resurrection is what? Always the redemption of Israel. John chapter 11, verse 50. Nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation perish not. That this spake he not of himself, being high priest that year, but he prophesied that Yahushua should die for that nation and not for that nation only, but also that he should gather together in one the children of Elohim that were scattered abroad. Look at that. Reading the book of Exodus, it becomes obvious The children of Elohim can be none other than the children of Israel, right? None other. You see, in Ezekiel chapter 37, where Israel was actually offered a conditional covenant of restoration, which 
They rejected. A restoration of the kingdom to Israel, it has both sticks, Judah and Ephraim coming together. The words for sticks is etzim in the Hebrew. The word is the exact same word that refers to the etzim or the former two olive trees, etzim of Israel. Exactly the same word. In Revelation chapter 11, we have Yochanan, John, makes reference to the same two olive trees in verse 4 of chapter 11 in Revelation. These two houses or two assemblies of redeemed Israelites, each will contribute what? One individual leader, which will be the two witnesses who will become known as the two individual witnesses of Israel, John and Elijah. And we know that John was a Jewish Levi and Elijah was from the north or from the house of Israel, Ephraim. So we can understand that we even have the two witnesses from the two houses over the house of Israel. The two witnesses lead the whole restored house of Israel against their enemies in the end times, which includes the anti-Messiah. The two olive trees have to become one. That's where we're at right now in the prophetic. Think about even in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Garden of Gethsemane, it was an olive press. It was an olive press. And it was here in this olive press where Yahushua took the sin of all Israel, was pressed down upon him. He took the sin of the whole house in an olive press. You can see Paul knew what he was talking about. It just takes us to be diligent to dig it out from the prophets, from the Torah, and to bring it all into the prophetic forward. And finally, we've got those sleeping at the wheel back then, just like they are today. We had Peter, James, and John, and they couldn't even keep their eyes awake in that olive press, could they? The three disciples sleeping in Gethsemane, of course, it's a prophetic perfect of the slumber that we find today amongst so-called disciples. Wake up! You call yourself a disciple? You're asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane. We've got Judah and Ephraim and true non-Israelites are all asleep in Zion, aren't they? They're asleep in Zion. They don't realize that they're supposed to graft into the stock, but they're asleep in Zion. All the while, Yahushua is in the midst of rebuilding the tabernacle of David, and few are even aware that it's going on. They don't even understand it's going on. You go, well, that, you know, that's like um, in Acts chapter 15, you know, it's all about the rebuilding of the tabernacle of David. Oh, oh it is? Yeah. It's in the New Testament, right? My goodness gracious me. We may be wild. Some are wilder than others. We may be uncultivated. Some are more uncultivated than others. But despite our uncultivated status, and it is obvious and apparent... We still remain true Israelite olive branches because we are attached to the root. Aren't we? We are attached to the root and my status comes from the root. Without the root, I am nothing. 
I will never, ever leave my first love because that is where my whole status comes from. Don't ever forget the root. The issue is which of the branches have faith in the root, the Messiah. That, my friends, that is what determines whether the branches abides or whether they are pruned off in these last days. So the word is abide. You have got to abide. And when the fires come, which they will, you've got to abide. It's time to stop polarizing two religions that reduce the remnant. It's time to join the priesthood and not a denomination. Our main questions, comments, there's a lot to think about. I know, kind of went a little crazy here and there, but I had a lot of fun. I hope you did. It's serious study, but sometimes you've got to lighten it up a little bit, otherwise it becomes too heady. Yes, Elizabeth Taylor in the front next to Richard Burton. Oh, no, those guys are dead. Sorry, great haircut, by the way. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. The two witnesses, the two anointed ones, back, back there in the back behind you. More volume. Piggy, yeah, piggybacking off of her question. Um, this may be another topic entirely. Oh, but let's do it. <laughs> Let's Would go the two witnesses then be cherubs or actual like people who previously? Yeah. That's, a, that's another question. I mean, I believe, you know, from my studies that it, it's a yoke on John and Elijah, Eliyahu. So, um, you know, people have lots of different ideas. But it's going to be representatives of the house of Judah and house of Ephraim for sure. The two houses the two witnesses of those two olive trees coming back into the Echad union, the one new man. But they will be what? Connected to the root. Anyone who says any other thing, that is another word. They have to have to the Torah and to the testimony. If there is any other word that is not in them, they are not of the truth. There is no light in them. In the back. Yes, um... The Ashkenazis, are they from Esau? And could, how could they be descendants of Japheth too? And I, I think that's uh, the question, but I'm not quite sure. Is this a conflict? Oh, yeah. Maybe I missed, uh, misspoke there. Did I say, say Esau? Yes. Okay. Yeah, because we got the Ashkenazi are descendants of Japheth. Thank you. Sorry, there's a lot going on up here. Oh, thank you. There's a lot of love going out on the internet. Oh, today, thank you. Sorry. Yeah, no, but this man makes mistakes, and you guys catch me most of the time. So, and you know, if it's brought to my attention, then and then thank you for that. Just yeah. so you know, the, there was several people out there that said we want to, we want the history too. Will that be in your notes? Yes. Uh, yes. Yes. We'll get it up there for you on the on the line. Um, the other thing was is the the stones. Is that a literal reference to Deuteronomy 23.1 and not an exaggeration that he could have actually uh, created children from the stones? 
Where, what are we talking uh, about? Give me the children of Abraham. He could raise up, you know, from the children of Abraham from these stones. Oh, right, right. I don't know. I missed that part. I was out working on some things. I may have missed that part, too. <laughs> but I like that part. Okay. And one last question, one final question. That is, um, are we intended to be under a Nazarite vow as the Melchizedek um, priests um, today? I've met many brothers that have decided to take the Nazarite vow. It's very hard to really fulfill that vow in dispersion. But no, we are not. But, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with um, implementing what you can in the nations. But no, we are not. It's a good question, though. That would be a good midrash topic of uh, conversation, maybe at Sukkot around the fire. I think we should look into the um, Esau connection to um, to this end time deception, because this this is now I've 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 kind of opened up that can of worms, haven't I? Comment, pass the mic back. Seeing as we're on on that topic, do you have yeah. something? Yes. There was something just recently I saw that Turkey is trying to take remove Jordan from being over the temple. Okay. And there was something else that popped up that the father just put in my information about Turkey. And it was just interesting that you spoke that up because that did kind of red flag. I just want to say one scripture that ties to the multicolored robe, robe of Joseph, but the bride in... Um, Psalms 45, it says, she is wearing a colorful gown, um, and she is brought to the king. So I was just, that's a reflection to me of who he is. Um, I know it says we're dressed in white, but this specifically says in Psalms 45 that she is in a colorful gown. I think that's because he is gathering us from all nations, that we are a transracial group, and he is bringing us in, and he's bringing us into the Echad unity in a time when there is so much of division and there is so much polarization, that this true, truly is the message of restoration in these days. So, Matthew, when we come into faith in Messiah, we become one in Messiah. It doesn't matter if you're slave or free, Greek or Jew, male or female. Therefore, once we're in that root, where does tribalism come from? Why do we still need that identity? You see, because we're used in an end time scenario where there has to be a Judah and there has to be an Ephraim. But yet in the New Covenant, I'm not seeing whether there's a necessity to identify themselves because genealogy means nothing, right? Bloodline means nothing. We're all one in Messiah. Right, but that that's once you have as the Zion, the Zion, you have now been grafted into the tree. You produce the one fruit and you are the one new man. But getting from the dispersion 
Many are going to come from different tribal backgrounds. And then once we have connected in and the graft has taken place, you're right. You are the one new man, and that is where you are at that point. So there shouldn't be this fracture is what you're communicating. I totally agree. Because we don't want to... There's no point getting into separationist tribalism. It's about coming together. But we have to be aware of what is keeping the people away is all of the fracturing out there and the invasive species that is particularly prevalent from that Turkic region and the Caucasian Caucasus basin, the Caucasus forest, again, dealing with the Ashkenazi and the Mohammedan. And that you can see just by opening up that your newspaper. So I think what you're saying is once we've grafted into that olive tree and become the one new man, then all that disunity falls away because we're headed right to Zion together. Amen. Abba, we pray that you would truly Take Romans 11 and solidify it within our man, within our very, very, very deepest person. The Abba, that you would use now this horticultural analogy and example. Much has been spoken, but Abba, that you would bring it into our very, very mind, into our words, then we can communicate, Abba, what the root Yahusha is doing in these days. Abba, we thank you for removing the partial blindness of us, that we are a people that have clear vision in these days. Let it be so. Let us walk now in the power and the anointing of this rebuilt tabernacle of David. Amen? Amen.